We're taking our Bibles this morning for our Bible study, and I want to invite you to join me in 2 Samuel chapter 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and maybe 22, okay? So as now you're shocked and ready to leave, okay, what I want to talk about this morning is something that is very practical and applies to every single one of us. It is in David's life what's happening at this moment is all of a sudden I've entitled this one, the idea here is one evil is piling on. The reason I say that is as we look at the text, it's an interesting passage, interesting story. Because what happens to David at this time is David is all of a sudden, this story is, is coming into play and we're going to get a number of details. They aren't in chronological order. This whole text is kind of mixed up. But we do know that these events that are taking place in these five chapters or so, David is an older man. He's old. He's about my age. Okay, And as that's going on, he's been the king for several decades. And as this story is going on, all of a sudden in this chapter, this section, there's one trial, another trial, another trial, another trial, another trial. They just keep on piling on. And as a result, what is going to happen is uh, David's going to be suffering a lot of different details. Now, some of it is David's own fault. It's about 10 years earlier than this story that we're picking up at, David had an affair with Bathsheba. We talked about that. If you've been joining us, some of you have already heard that story, that David had committed an adulterous relationship, and part of the consequences was there's going to be the sword never leaving his own house which means that there's going to be problems coming within his sons, coming from those who are close to him. And that happened because one of the first things that we talk about in chapter 17 and 18 is there's that rebellion that all of a sudden Absalom, his son, is trying to take away the kingdom that David had been building. And it's not just Absalom, but there's others who are going to try to destroy David and try to get rid of the kingdom. You and I need to look at it and say it's not just a personal attack. There's a spiritual battle going on behind the scene. What I mean by that is this, is that there are forces working, evil forces that continue to work today, but at that time, evil forces trying to destroy David and trying to destroy the kingdom that God is building. There are evil forces opposed to God. And what is happening is that David is experiencing some of this opposition. Because remember, he's God's anointed. He's the one to build the kingdom. And as he's trying to build that, all of a sudden, these tragedies come. And one of them is the tragedy of his son, his oldest surviving son, trying to take away the kingdom. Part of that is David's fault. David contributed to that as a consequence. Part is just evil starting to just run rampant here. And then right after that, what happens is David, as we'll see, and I'll just tell the story, David defeats Absalom's army. He restores himself to the throne. But when he restores himself to the throne, not all the tribes want David back. Oh, some of them, most of them do, but there's going to be division that is starting to brew. David had united them. For 30-some years now, there's going to be a division in the tribes, and some say, we don't want you. We don't want you back, David, which is going to lead to another revolt. There's a second revolt right on top of Absalom's that most people who, read, who, who study David's life, they don't even know that another guy by the name of Shema, Shema starts a second revolt, and there's going to have to be a second civil war. And then what happens on top of that is a famine strikes the land. The famine is really severe. It's there for several years. And the people then, after they've had this civil war, they've got this famine. And then on top of that, the Philistines are encouraged because of the, the unsettling issue with David. He's not able to even unite the tribes right away, and there's a famine. The Philistines, who have been conquered before, they start rebelling, and there's wars, and they start attacking David. Not just once, but if you're in First Samuel or Second Samuel, if you're in chapter 21, just there's a phrase that shows up. Look at verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Jump down to verse 18. It came to pass after this that there was war again, a battle with the Philistines. Go to verse 19. There was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines. Go down to verse 20. And there was yet a battle in Gath. And he goes on, describes. Repeatedly, there's going to be attacks by the Philistines. And then, on top of that, another son by the name of Adonijah tries to take over the throne even before David dies. What's happening is all of this evil, all of these, these tragedies are piling up on this man who's an older man. 
and he's been king, but everything is insecure. It's unsettled, and, and he's distraught. In fact, the passage says David waxed faint. David is all of a sudden, he's distraught through all of this. Now, can I just comment before we get into the, the real bulk of things? That I think, just taking an overview, this is an important thought that we need to remember. We need to remember that there's going to be a persistence on the part of evil. Evil is going to attack time and time and time again to destroy, discourage, defeat God's people, and to try to stop God's program. That's not just David and his kingdom, that's you. That's where Satan and his hordes are going to try to destroy, defeat, discourage you so you give up on family, so you give up on serving God. They're going to try to attack and destroy a work of God, like a church, like a witness, like a ministry, like a missions work. Because Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. There is going to come opposition, attacks, they, they won't even show their, their ugly face, those evildoers trying to discourage you. You won't even see them, but they'll be working behind the scenes. And you're experiencing, some of you are going through that right now. May I add this other thought that I think is critical? We ought not to give up. We ought not to give up because victory is closer than you think. What I mean by that is this. David is having years of difficulties, trials, evil, piling on, piling on, piling on. But when David ends his life and he turns the throne over to Solomon, what is interesting is all of a sudden the kingdom is once again reunited. All 12 tribes are in support. And they're following the house of David. Now, that won't continue. But when David ends up, David has won the hearts of all the people once again. When David hands over the tribe, never more is there a mention of giants in the land. But in the, in the verses we just looked at, there's lots of giants who are attacking time and time again. Never again will the Philistines raise their ugly head to try to destroy the kingdom. Solomon won't have to deal with them. So David, even though it's all piling on, by the time David finishes, victory is in his lap. He is able to manage. He is able to go through it, and he's able to turn over his son the kingdom that is in a good position. Things have been resolved. Now my question is this, is what did David do? What was his contributions? I know God is working behind the scenes. We are going to see that so clearly today. God providentially moving. God manipulating. God orchestrating to defeat evil, uh, evil that is orchestrating and manipulating and trying to work behind the scenes. We're going to see God do that this morning. But what role did David play? He's supposed to be an example. All these characters are to be an example for us. What can we learn from David and how David handled the piling on what did he do to, to be in a spot where God could continue to use him and to bless him? Let me point out this one. Number one. Number one, David didn't run from the Lord, which is a temptation. When all of a sudden evil comes and challenges come and, and trials come, it's temptation to just give up, quit, turn against the Lord, get mad at the Lord for the trials that are in your life. David doesn't run from the Lord. He basically runs to the Lord. He continues to trust in the Lord. I want you to see that in just a couple different passages in this story. If you go back a few chapters to where we were last week, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, turn there and just see these phrases. In 2 Samuel 15, this is when Absalom's army is marching against David's, David's city of Jerusalem, and David and his people have to leave. They have to flee. Absalom's coming with 12,000 soldiers. David has 600. They are going to, they're coming to kill David, to kill the people who are on his side. And as David leaves, they're vacating Jerusalem, and it says that all of a sudden the priests show up with the Ark of the Covenant, and they're going to go with David. And David said unto Zadok, carry back the Ark of God into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. Go down a little bit further. Chapter 16. As he's walking away and they're doing their, their march out of the city, 
all of a sudden, one of the, one of the peoples of the land, Shimei, comes and he's cursing David. He's cussing at David. He is, he is ridiculing David. David's response to him, we read in chapter 16, down in verse 11. He says, when his soldier, his bodyguard, Abishai, says, should I kill the guy? He says uh, out of, to, to Abishai, how much more now may this Benjamite do to me compared to what my son's done? Let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will requite me or repay me for the good for his cursing this day. I'm trusting the Lord. Holding your finger in this area, go to Psalm chapter, Psalm, the third Psalm. Let's do that. Not a chapter, but the third Psalm. Flip there. I want you to follow along and read with me. In Psalm, two, Psalm th- uh, 3. This Psalm is talking about David's heart. It'll show you what David was thinking when he is running out of Jerusalem being chased by his son. Psalm 3. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? This, David's writing this in relationship to Absalom chasing him. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But Lord, you are my shield for me, my glory, the lifter up of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. Who's going to sleep when they're running for their life? David did. Why? He's trusting in the Lord. It goes a little bit further. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. Those are the words written by a man who is running. There is another psalm. Go a little bit further into the book. Go to right around Psalm 20-something. Flip over there. There's another psalm that is written that many, now there's a debate, some aren't secure, but many Bible scholars say David wrote this psalm at this same time when he's running for his life. I would invite you to read it with me. Or quote it if you know it. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Read it with me, please. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. He's writing that when he's running for his life and he's in the wilderness. Why? He has faith in God. He is trusting the Lord. My friend... If you are a believer, you need to turn to the Lord and keep trusting no matter what the trials are. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know what I mean when I say uh, you're a believer, you say, well, I believe Jesus was alive. I believe Jesus existed. You need more than just a believing up here. You need to know him as your shepherd. You need to do what David said. He said, the Lord is my, it's very emphatic in the Hebrew, my shepherd. He's, he's the one that I have asked personally. And the reason that, that it can happen to you, that you have that personal relationship, is Jesus died on the cross and suffered the penalty of separation from the Father, or hell, for you to have forgiveness. And when Jesus finished up on that cross, paying the price of my sin and your sin, he called out, it is paid in full, it is finished. He gave up the ghost, and God showing that he accepted his payment, three days later, God raised him from the dead. And Jesus came out of that tomb, and he started broadcasting that I have provided salvation for anyone and everyone. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need salvation. 
And there is only one name given amongst men whereby men must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ, or should I say his person. You need Jesus to be your shepherd. You cannot get into heaven by your own good works because the Bible makes it clear, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. He says in the word of God that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. If we believe in our hearts, if we call with our mouths, we will have salvation. It's not what we have done. It's the work of Jesus Christ whom we worship this morning, who gave his life, who gave, rose again so that you and I can have forgiveness of sins and be assured of the fact that one day we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You need that Christ. If you've never put your trust in him, trust in him for your salvation this day. Well, David trusted not only in his salvation, but in his journey. And in the piling on, he says, I'm going to keep on trusting you. I'm going to be able to sleep at night, even though this is difficult. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which it could be, because the enemies were right behind in his mind, he says, I know that goodness and mercy comes from the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and keep on trusting. Number two, what did David do? David, in a practical sense, he didn't go it alone. What I mean by that is throughout these five chapters, it is time again that David sought the assistance of others. He's the king. He's experienced, but he allowed other people to minister to him, which is what the Word of God encourages us to do. Again, we're back in 2 Samuel 21, where we started a few moments ago, where we were looking at David in those battles with the Philistines. In 2 Samuel 21, and again, I don't know when this all occurred. It's in this latter period of time, exactly when in conjunction to some of the other stories, they're mixed together. But I want you to see how David was helped, how David allowed people to help him, and it had to be difficult. We read in verse 17, moreover, the Philistines had yet war against, uh, again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. I understand why David went. David is the leader of the nation. David still desires to lead in the battlefield. David wants to go there, especially, look at the next couple verses. Who are they fighting against in particular? Don't just say the Philistines, but what characteristic of some of the Philistines? They're giants. And what is David known for? He's the giant slayer. Surely he should lead them in this battle. Because who did he defeat years ago? Goliath. So David goes out there, and he's fighting, and he whacks faint. In other words, he's old. He can't do the things he used to do. He's struggling physically. And Ish, I can't even say the name, Ishbi Banab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of his spear was 300 shekels. That's like 17 pounds. Okay, that spearhead would do us in, okay, if it hit us. And he goes on, he says, he being girded with a new sword, he thought to have slain David because David was collapsing in the battle. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, he came to David's help. He smote the Philistine and killed him. Then we go a little bit further. These men say to David, you shall no more go out to battle because, David, you, you, you put yourself in danger. And if you go out to battle, you're going to quench the light of Israel. We need you as king, not as the military commander. And it came to pass after this, there's still more giants. They had to be dealt with. And we read about Sibachai, the Hushishite, who slew Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle at Gob with the Philistines, where Ahanan, the son of, these names are hard to pronounce, a Bethlehemite slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet another battle with Agath. And this guy was of great stature. And it says he had on every hand and every foot. He had six toes, six fingers. And he also was born of the, to a giant when he defied Israel. Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand. And so all these guys, David needed help. David needed physical help at times to get the job done, and he let him do it. You go to the chapter here in the chapter 23, and I'm not going to re-preach it. I did that about a month ago, where we talked about David's mighty men. And he lists all these men who assisted him, who helped him. So when we think about David going to battle and leading him, remember he has people helping him especially all these 39 men that are mentioned in chapter 23, these guys really assisted David. Can I pause again and remind you? Don't forget the people who help you. 
Don't forget to thank them. Don't forget to acknowledge them like David did. He wrote a whole chapter about these, well, half a chapter about these gentlemen. David was in need of assistance. Let's go early. Let's go, let's go before David is fighting the Philistines. Let's go back to the revolt. Let's go back a couple of few chapters and see where David got help. Once again, we go to chapter 16. And here it is. It's in the revolt. It is, it is the time when, um, when Absalom is attacking David. And David is fleeing from Jerusalem. And while he's on the road, it says in chapter 16, verse 1, when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses and upon them 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, a bottle of wine. And the king said, what do you mean by all this? He says, the asses be for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. David in his running, he needed assistance. And some provided it by just giving him food, giving him sustenance. We go a little bit farther in this chapter. As David is running and trying to flee, when all of a sudden we read in chapter 17 what happens further on, is that they're in the wilderness and there's lots of things. They're coming to a battle pretty soon. But David and his troops, they don't have a house. They don't have a home. And we read in chapter 27, jump down to 17, verse 27. It came to pass when David was come to Mahanaim that Shobai, the son of Nahash of Rabbah, and the children of Ammon, and Maker, the son of Amiel of Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite of Roglam, I'm surprised I got through that. They brought bed, beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour, parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep, cheese and for David and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry, weary, thirsty in the wilderness. And Barzillai, he opens up the town and says, David, why don't you come here and live in my fortress? David is getting assistance. It's, it's assistance of people just doing mundane things, but helping him out. Then we read about what happens, and, I, and it's worth me discussing a little bit more in the next point, but David's going to get help from a friend who is going to be staying in Jerusalem and trying to slow Absalom down from getting David. His name is Hushai. We'll talk about him in a minute. But when Hushai is working in Jerusalem, he needs to warn David. So we go back again to chapter 17 and we read that, that Hushai is working behind the scenes and Hushai says, I've got to get a message to David. Look at verse 15 of chapter 17. Then said Hushai unto Zadok and Abiathar the priest, thus and thus did Ahithophel, we'll talk about him in a minute, counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and thus did I counsel them. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, don't stay in the plains tonight. Get out of the wilderness Run, pass away real quick, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Because, we'll see in a moment, there's troops of 12,000 being talked about chasing after David. David, don't camp. You don't have time. You've got to get away. And so Zadok and uh, his, his companion here, uh, Abiathar, they run they take off from Jerusalem and they run after David. And while they're running, all of a sudden Absalom's men have heard, seen somebody go escape Jerusalem. And they send troops after these messengers. And they have to run and they get to a certain place and they get to this house where they're going to hide themselves. In fact, they come in verse 18, 19, 20. They come to Bahurim. The town Bahurim, you may not remember, that's the home where Shimei was, who was against David. And they come to Bahurim, and when they get there, they got to hide. And a woman hides these guys in her well. And she befriends them. And by doing that, she assists David in a roundabout way. It is amazing how many people are here who are helping David he doesn't even know about. But they're providing assistance. They're providing help. David couldn't go, to go, go it alone, and neither can you and me. We need assistance. And sometimes it comes from sources that we don't even know about. Sometimes it's people that we haven't even talked to. But God puts people in places where they can provide, they can help, they can minister to us, and he's got them prepared and ready to help us even though we don't know about it. And when God works in that way, he providentially behind the scenes, he is going to use people with different abilities, different achievements, different skill sets to minister, to help, to help God's person or God's program. Do you want to see an example of it? Look around. 
There's all kinds of abilities here. Not one person can minister the gospel to everyone and disciple. Not one person can maintain a ministry like this. It takes a lot of people with different abilities to maintain, even under attack, when Satan tries to destroy, to cause disunity. We have to work together and recognize we need one another. We need one another to help us, to teach us. You were mentioning, Bob Flatt and his wife were mentioning here how when he had cancer, how when they were up in Alaska and they were telling my wife and I the story, how so many people behind the scenes all of a sudden provided assistance and help and provided transportation when it was needed when they were in the outskirts, I mean anywhere in Alaska is the boonies. But they were up there and they had to get to the hospitals and they said time and again people assisted that they didn't even know about but rallied to the cause. You've had that happen, haven't you? That people have ministered. And so God does that same thing. And one of the people that he places in a very, very strategic spot that, that God had to providentially provide it is Hushai. Hushai is an interesting character. Which brings us to the point that I want to tell the story. And while you're listening, just keep this in the back of your mind. Don't panic, but pray. Personally pray, persistently pray. you got to do that. Now the reason I'm saying this is telling you the story of what happens. When we go into this night, David's running, he's fleeing for his life. And when he's going and he's running for his life, David, David hears that Ahithophel has not come with him. Go back to chapter 15, verse 31. They're fleeing Jerusalem. They're escaping the city. And all of a sudden, somebody, verse 31, told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. What does David do? It says in verse 15, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. That phrase is really, really critically important. But when we read the story, we, we in modern days don't even recognize it. Okay, let's fill in the gaps. We have to ask this question, who is Ahithophel? And to just set the scene, he's an older guy, very wise. He's been David's counselor up to this point. You read about him counseling David. But there is a phrase at the end of chapter 16 that is critical. Look at chapter 16, the last verse. The counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was compared to what? He, he, he talking to God. Ahithophel was so acknowledged. His reputation was, this is like talking to, to, uh, to the mouth of God. This is like hearing from the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired of the oracle of God. And it was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Everybody looked at Ahithophel. Everybody would say, his counsel is the very best. He is the wisest man in the land. But David's just prayed. God, turn Ahithophel's counsel, reverse it. Don't give him wisdom or don't do something to undermine his counsel. It, it is amazing how this happens. How God answers his prayer. Because what happens is when David, when the revolt started... Absalom had gone to Hebron. If you remember last week, he had gone to Hebron telling dad, give me permission, I'm going to go sacrifice, goes to Hebron. And when he's at Hebron, he blows the horn. Everybody gather, I'm starting a rebellion. Everybody come, come. One of the first people that joined Absalom's revolt was Ahithophel, David's sage old personal counselor. Ahithophel changed sides. He goes up and joins up with Absalom. And so when he was with Absalom, they march into the city. David has fled into the wilderness. It's Ahithophel that says to Absalom, what you want to do is you want to establish yourself as the new ruler. You go in and you take David's wives that are left behind, his concubines. That is going to show everybody you're in charge. Because that was the way in that day, right or wrong, but that was the way that they would display that they're in charge. They've taken over. You're the new king. Is you would take the king's concubines to yourself. And then what he does is he says to this council, chapter 17, this is the wise Ahithophel. David's in the wilderness. David is running. Look at verse 1 of chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, let me 
Let me choose out 12,000 men. I will arise and pursue after David this night. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and I will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee. I will smite the king alone. I will bring back all the people unto you. The man whom you seek is as if all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well, and all the elders. That was good counsel. Quote, unquote, it was good counsel, evil counsel. Evil, kill David, destroy David. But from a human point of view, it made sense. Because David's in the wilderness, David's fleeing, David doesn't have many troops. I take 12,000, I can catch up to him, I can wipe him out. There won't be much of it. We'll avoid a warfare. We'll avoid a huge battle of thousands. We'll just wipe him out right away. Evil, 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 but from evil's point of view, it made a lot of sense. Why is Ahithophel... David's counselor, why is he so against David that he says, I will do this. I'm an old man. I'm not fit to be riding on the, on the horse going after him, and yet I'm going to do it. I hate David. I want to destroy David. Why does that wise man want to wipe out David who he knows is God's anointed? Anybody Remember? He's the granddad of Bathsheba. Or is it the father-in-law? Okay. He's related to Bathsheba. Do you think he's bitter? Do you think he's angry? Yeah. And now he, is, he has personally got a vendetta against David. And so you may want to reference that. You have to go back because remember, remember when David he says, I want that woman, I want that, he's told that she's related to Ahithophel. She's married to Uriah, she's related to Ahithophel, and he doesn't respond, he doesn't care. Now Ahithophel has got his chance. I'm going to fix David, I'm going to kill him personally for what he did. And so Ahithophel is giving that advice, and everyone likes the advice. We just read it in verse 4. Everyone likes the advice. Do you want to see something really strange? This, this, this makes no sense. Because everybody knows talking to Ahithophel is if talking to who? God. Look at verse 5. What does Absalom do? Absalom says, Call now Hushai the archite also, and let us hear likewise what he says. In other words, Absalom wants a second opinion. Why would you want a second opinion when it, when it comes from the mouth of Ahithophel? You know, there's a reason why. It's described in this passage. What did David do when he heard Ahithophel sided with Absalom? He prayed. God reversed the counsel. Go to chapter 17, verse 14. It says at the end of the verse, the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Does God work behind the scenes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, in this story, what happens is the man that God uses is Hushai. Hushai is loyal to David, but he's placed himself back in Jerusalem with the whole purpose I am going to try to work behind the scenes to help David. I'm going to try to upset Absalom's plans. So what you read in the next few verses is that Hushai comes in, he's allowed to give a second opinion by the hand of God working providentially. He's allowed to give some counsel and his counsel goes this way. He says, wait a minute, think about it Absalom. Think about this. David is a mighty warrior you know that your dad is, when he's trapped, he's like a wild animal. And all the men with him, they'll be like a bear, like a lion. They'll be vicious. You won't be able to beat them really quickly. And then he not only plays on the fears and what they know about David, but he adds this. He says, you know what? If you just kind of wait, you wait a little bit. Look at verse 8 where he, where he says, you know your father and his men, that they be mighty men. They be chaffed as a bear robbed of her whelps. He says, he's a valiant man, etc., etc. But then he, then he makes this comment in verse 11. He says, I counsel that all of Israel be generally gathered unto who? Unto who? Unto you. Do you remember what Ahithophel advised? Let me go out. 
Now watch what he says. I think that you want everybody to gather you as the sand is by the sea for the multitude that you go down to battle in your own person and then we'll come upon him in the some place and he'll be found and we will light upon him and of him and all the men that are with him there shall not be one left and moreover if he be gotten in the city we'll destroy him and basically what has he played to Absalom? He's played to his vanity. May, may I ask you a question? Is Absalom a vain guy? Is he given to wanting to be noticed? Yeah. And so Hushai plays on his, on his, you know, his ego. You want everybody to follow you. You want a big army. You want to be the leader. You get all the credit. You do this. And so, oh wow, this is even better than Ahithophel's advice. Because this will make me even look better. And what happens is he basically buys time for David to escape. David may not have escaped. They were, he was still close. And he sends the messengers, David, run, run, run. Don't sleep overnight. Get out of here. And David gets away, gets to a place where David can muster and rally troops. Who shy bought time? All of this, just, just to, to just put it all together, it's an amazing how this story unfolds that Absalom would agree, they warned David, we already looked at that. Hushai bought time for him. And David, according to chapter 18 now, we jump ahead, whether it be weeks or whatever, and David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and hundreds. Instead of just 600 men, now David has a mighty army. So here it was, Hushai working behind the scenes. And all of it worked out because of one thing that's behind it from David's perspective. David had prayed, God reversed the counsel of Ahithophel, and God reversed the counsel of Ahithophel. Does God answer prayers? Even when you don't see him being answered, is he answering? Even if you don't know what's happening, is God working? God is just an amazing God that he will, you know, I, I just, I, this story, now this is me, this is how foolish I am. Why would they ask for a second opinion? God working. God undermining. The God working and twisting events that Absalom shouldn't have got a second opinion. He had the best. But God was working. God was moving. You know, may I suggest something? You might be put in positions like Hushai. You might be put into a position where you can give counsel that will thwart evil. Maybe it's working with the school board. Maybe it's even going and talking to the school board. Maybe you're going to be able to counsel and get involved that you're going to know some politician. And you're going to get there. Does God work with a people behind the scenes to try to thwart evil? The answer is yes. Be a Hushai. Be available. Be brave. Be bold. When you stand there and, and tell what you need to tell so that you can have the, have the cause of the Lord righteousness, that you're defending it. But I look at this story and say, David prayed. David prayed. God answered his prayers. And as a result, David is all of a sudden, he gets back to the throne. Okay? And, and you want to see another time? Just let's fast forward. We'll, we're going to deal with this next week. Okay? Chapter 21, jump there. This is, this is one of the weirdest stories in scriptures that a lot of you probably, when you're ready, you just, eh, and never stop to study. And frankly, this last week is, eh, I don't want to preach it. It's too weird. Okay, it just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, but it's like, well, God has, there's got to be something for us. So next Sunday, we're going to look at this story. But what happens here in this story is there's a famine in the land. How bad is the famine? Chapter 23, uh, 21, uh, verse 1. How bad is the famine? Three years, okay, and David inquired of the Lord. Again, David in this situation, he's, he's going to be praying. He's going to be praying. Now, that inquiring of the Lord is the idea they did it over and over and over. And so David is a man of prayer in the middle of these, tr these traumatic situations. Situations that look like, oh, how in the world would you, how would you usurp Ahithophel's counsel? How do you deal with a famine? Lord, I'm going to come to you. So make prayer your first response, not your last. Can I make this other observation? Don't hesitate to pray when it looks insurmountable, impossible. Pray, pray, and then do what? Pray some more. Absolutely. Don't quit when you don't see immediate results. David says, disturb, unsettle the results of the council of Ahithophel. He's marching, he's marching, he's marching, he's marching. He doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know if, it's, if God, is, God is moving and which way God's moving, but... You don't quit. 
You just keep on moving forward. God often works behind the scenes. Often works behind the scenes. Let's go to this one. I don't know what word to use. So I use the word grumpy. Okay, when you're in the middle of all the piling on, the piling on, don't become a grumpy, vengeful person. Don't become one who's attacking others. Rather, show grace. Be one who is gracious. The reason that I encourage you to do that is because the word of God tells us not to be vindictive, not to strike out at others. Avenge not yourselves. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So evil is piling on, piling on, piling on. Overcome by the way you respond to others with good. Go further. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How often shall we forgive? We brought this up last week. Peter says, seven times should I forgive? And Jesus responds, yeah, he says, not just seven times, but so much more. Bless them that persecute you. Okay? Don't curse them. Bless them. Here's one for you. It says, in that same context of seeking not vengeance. If it be possible, and that's an if. That's a condition. Because it's not always possible to deal with some people. Some people are just impossible. Okay? But if it be possible, as much as lies within you, in other words, how much effort should you put into this? All you got. All you got, live peaceably with all men. You want to see how David does this? Do you want to see what David does? Now, we already talked about last week what David does. Chapter 19, he has now had the battle. They've come back. David and his troops are coming back from the wilderness. They're, they've won. They've defeated Absalom. And as he's coming back towards Israel, a group of people meet him. One of the first group of people that finally meet him is the guy Shimei that we talked about last week, who's cussing and cursing David when he had to run for his life. And we read these words in chapter 19, follow along. And there went over a ferry boat to carry the king's household and to do what he thought good. Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan. And he said to the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do you please don't remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. I said some nasty things to you. Basically, I didn't mean it. Don't, don't remember it. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first. I'm one of the first people this day of all the house of Joseph to go down and meet my lord the king. Abishai, <laughs> deja vu all over again. Abishai, the son of Zariah, said, Shall not Shimei be put to death? He cursed the Lord's anointed. Again, David responds to Abishai, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah, that you should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? In other words, we've had enough killing. We've had enough killing. Okay? And he goes on, he says, For to do not I know that I am this day king over Israel. Therefore the king said unto Shimei, What? You're not going to die. I'm not going to be vindictive. I'm not going to attack you. Do you remember in American history? There's a character in American history that is often portrayed that he wanted to extend real grace to people despite the Civil War. Do you remember which president is usually lauded for having a spirit of let's unite? Lincoln. And you read his second inaugural address, and it's amazing. But he was opposed by so many who wanted vengeance. Let's get back. David's of that mindset. He says, I want to reunite. And reuniting doesn't mean that we're going to take off people's heads. He's met by another character. In fact, this next character in the next verse, the next paragraph that comes is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth comes. Mephibosheth is the lame descendant of Saul that David was told he stayed in Jerusalem and sided with Absalom. Well, here comes Mephibosheth. He comes up to David, meets him where, where Shimei is, is in that same proximity. And Shimei, the, or Mephibosheth, the passage says, Mephibosheth says, I haven't bathed. I haven't cut my hair, taken care of my nails. I've done no hygiene since you left. Now, I'm not sure how David would have responded to that greeting. Okay. But he, David says, but where were you? David asks the question. David asks, if you look at it, look at verse 20. Why didn't you go with me? It's, it bothers David that Mephibosheth, after all the grace that David showed to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, he says, well, 
I couldn't. Ziba tricked me, da-da-da-da-da-da, and I couldn't go. And David's hearing the story. Can can I make the comparison here? Have you ever been with a group of of people? Say, Say you're a teacher. And the class is in total chaos when you walk in the door. And somebody did something wrong. And you try to get the story. And you get a whole bunch of different stories. Has it ever happened in your house? Somebody's got, somebody, you, 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 all of a sudden, you go, what is going on? You know, somebody's got a bloody nose, and somebody's got a black eye. What were you doing? And you hear two different stories. You know, um, you're, you're, you, hear, you, you hear some conflict, you know, that somebody's got going, and you say, well, what started it? You know, what happened at work? Why didn't you get the job done? And the workers have two different stories. Well, that's exactly what David's doing. And David's response, right or wrong or wise or not, David's response is, enough. Ziba's blaming you. You're blaming Ziba. Enough. Here's what you do. Half your land goes to Ziba. Be content. And that's, that's it. We're moving on. And Mephibosheth's response is, oh, bless you. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. You can, he can have it all. I'm just so glad that you're back. Point is, David, though he had doubts, he was still forgiving to this guy at this moment. Can we take it a step further? When David, David has to deal with an entire tribes of people that rebelled against him. What does he do with them? go, Go and set the scene again. David has won the battle. Go down to chapter 19, verse 9. All the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying... Now, remember, Absalom's dead. David is one. The king saved us out of the hands of our enemies in days gone by. He delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines. He fled out of the land for Abs- because of Absalom. And Absalom, who we anointed over us, he's dead now. Now, therefore, why don't you speak about bringing the king back? In other words, a lot of the people wanted David back in Jerusalem, but... A number of people didn't want him back in Jerusalem. They didn't want David back. After all that David has done. So the people are hesitating. And so David, you you want to see something really smart on David's part? David wins the group back. What what happens is you jump down into the story. It it says that, that, um, uh, I'm going to catch it here in a moment. Okay, I'm going to tell the story, then, I'll, then it'll come to my mind. That what happens is David says, okay, here's how I'm going to treat those who have revolted. I'm not going to take revenge on them. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to appoint Amasa to be my new chief of staff. Who's Amasa in this story? He is David's nephew, which means nothing until you go a little bit further. He had sided with Absalom. And he was Absalom's chief of staff. And so he had turned against his uncle. And now when David's coming back and there's some, there's some of the people are hesitant, David says, well, I'm going to take your leader, Amasa, and I'm going to make him my chief of staff. It's a political move. It's a forgiving move. But it's amazing how, it re- how the people react. There it is, 1914. He bowed the heart of all the men of Judah so that they responded by saying, return, be your king. David is showing great grace. Great grace that encouraged the heart, made it very clear, no vengeance, no attack. I'm not holding it against you. I'll even use Amasa in my court. Wise man, gracious man. One who is just, he he dealt with it. Now, something else. As we wind down, he's not acting impulsively. David listens to counsel. David listens to counsel. Okay? When the people said to him, don't go out to battle with us. When we're going to have that big fight between Absalom's army, David is ready to lead, and they say, we don't want you to go into battle. Because the battle's all about you. If you get killed, we lose the bat- everything. Don't you go out. And David's response is, I will do what seems best to you. But he's the king. He wants to lead the army. But the advice is, don't go. And David listens. Watch this. David's mighty men say to David, 
David, you waxed faint when you were fighting the giant. Don't go into battles anymore against the giants. You are the giant slayer. But David, you're as old as Pastor Wayne. You can't do what you used to do. I I got news for you. If somebody says you can't do what you used to do, Right? Right? Don't you feel that way? I'm still going to try. But what do we read? David listened. They weren't advising because they didn't like him. They advised him because we don't want the light of Israel to be destroyed. David listens to counsel. David, after the battle with Absalom, do you remember what happens? Absalom is out there leading his troops. David has his troops out, and they're in this battle. And in this battle that takes place, in that big civil war battle in chapter 17, 18, in that war, that battle, David stayed behind because they advised him. And as the people were marching out of the gate of Mahurim, and they're going to battle against uh, Absalom, they've been able to muster. Who should I bottom time? As they're leaving the city, David stands at the gate. You know, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. But he also tells them to do what? Anybody remember? Be gentle to my son Absalom. Be gentle. And it says everyone heard it. Why does it add that? Because somebody doesn't listen to it. And so what happens, they get into the battle. And as they get into battle, 20,000 men are killed. Keep that in mind. 20,000 are killed in this battle. And uh, Absalom runs. He's defeated. And as Absalom is running... His hair, I can't even relate to this at all. Absalom's hair gets caught in the tree. And the animal he's riding takes off and he's hanging by his hair. I can't imagine this being hung like this. And, and some of the soldiers of David catch up and they say, we're not going to touch him. We're not going to attack him. Why? Because the king said, be gentle to Absalom. Don't kill him. Joab comes marching up and Joab says, I don't care. I don't care. And Joab pierces him through with, with several spears. So the battle's over. Absalom's dead. And messengers come back. And when David hears that Absalom is dead, David reacts. Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom. Oh, that I would have died for you. And he is so broken. He is so upset that who died? The rebel son, Absalom. What about the other 20,000? And David is so distraught by this. And he's so upset that he makes that comment. Go to chapter 19, verse 1. And it was told Joab, behold, the king weeps and mourns for who? For Absalom. Keep Keep on in the story. Look at the next verse. The victory that day was turned into mourning. Unto all the people. For the people heard say that day, that day how the king grieved for his son. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city as people being what? Ashamed would steal away when they flee in the battle. And the king is weeping and wailing. And these people don't understand it. Put yourself in their sandals. They don't know the insides of what's happened in the palace. All they know is Absalom rebelled against the king and led an army. We fought for the king. And good thing that Absalom is beaten. That's all they know. They don't know all the inside scoop. They don't know what was going on between David and Absalom. They don't know. All they're concerned about is David is back on the throne. We have defeated a rebel army. But the king makes it sound like we're the ones who did evil. They don't understand. So Joab, bold Joab, comes walking in. And when Joab comes in, he confronts the king. And he says to the king, down in verse 7, he says, now therefore arise. He warns him in the previous verse, if you think it was bad before, if you don't change your tone right now, it's going to get worse. So I'm advising you, verse 7, go forth, speak comfortably unto your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you go not forth, there will not tarry one of these people with you tonight. And it will be worse unto you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Look at verse 8. 
the king did what? He arose and sat in the gate. They told unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king sitting in the gate. And all the people came before a king, for Israel was fleeing everyone to their own tent. But now they regather. Does David feel like it? It's obvious David doesn't feel like it. David's brokenhearted over Absalom, but he listens to counsel. He listens to good, wise advice. In all these cases, even though he's the king, he's the wise man, he's the king, even though he's old. I mean, he's really old. He's in his 60s. He knows better than most people. Even though he's experienced at leading people, even though he doesn't want to go, he's wailing, he wants to isolate, he wants to stay in his house and mourn. You can't do that, David. You owe it to these people. You've got to get there if you want to salvage your kingdom and God's work. And so he's saying, you know, and he's, he's being told, you, again, I'm taking you back to later on where he says, I want to go out and fight. You can't do it, David. You can't do it anymore. Do you want to be told you can't do something? Not at all. And David's like, I'm not that old. I can still do what I did at 20 years of age. And the reality is, he can't do it. And they're advising him, and he doesn't, he doesn't want, but he listens. He listens. You know, the Bible keeps on saying and encouraging us, listen to wise advice. Listen to wise advice. Listen to wise advice. Why? Because sometimes we're too blind. We just don't see things right. I'm telling you, when I look in the mirror, I am shocked. Discouraged, disappointed, defeated, all those things, yeah. But I am shocked to see the face looking back at me. Because in my mind, I'm whatever age you want to put in there. Yeah, I don't think that. And it's like, it, I need wise advice. You need wise advice. Because sometimes we get caught up in emotions. Sometimes we get caught up in circumstances. Sometimes we just get, we need to listen to wise advice. Listen to good advice. Let's wrap up with this. Okay, don't quit. Don't quit. Just keep on serving the Lord. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Just serve the Lord. David had been called by God to establish a kingdom. He was God's anointed. All this evil comes against him to stop. But David continues with it. He reigns a full 40 years. David is an individual that he didn't quit despite the challenges. He could have stayed in the wilderness and kept on going and just let Absalom have it. He, he, could have, he could have just decided, we're just going to divide the kingdom and I'm not going to fight for it and let the Philistines pick it apart. But this isn't what God called me to do. Now, I'm, I don't have to do it personally. I can use others around me. But I need to contribute. I need to do something. God is working. Even though I'm opposed by God's enemies, he kept at it, even though he wasn't appreciated. The people, after 30 years of leading the people, they didn't even, some of them didn't even want him back. But this is what God called him to. And so he goes back, he leads for uh, whatever number of years, the exact number, I'm not sure, nobody knows. But David, David doesn't quit. He doesn't quit, he keeps at it. He keeps at it even after, even after he blew it. Even after he had sinned, and some of this was his fault. This is what God called me to do. This is what God wants. Even though he can't do what he used to do. This is what God called me to do. I ask you a question. Are you faithful today to what God has called you to do? When it comes to the idea of being a witness for Jesus Christ, and you're fearful, you're apprehensive, evil has tried, are you a faithful witness? That's what God called you to. Have, have you... Have you been faithfully working at your marriage? God has called you to be the husband, to be the wife, to really contribute to your marriage. Even if there's things in the past, have you determined to be faithful? Are you faithful when it comes to going to work? The job that God has called you to, to be a person of integrity and honesty and uprightness. Even if there's evil around you, are you still fulfilling what God has called you to do? God has called you to give your abilities, your gifts to the church. I'm not talking financial. I'm talking the, your prayers, your, your, uh, uh, your uh, teaching, your somehow doing Bible studies, doing whatever God has gifted you to do. Are you faithful with that? Or do you say, well, I did that in the past. I don't do it anymore. I know that some of you want to, but you can't do the same things you used to do. But are you still contributing in some way, shape, or form?
Are you an individual that God called you to build up other Christians? What are you doing? We talked about it last Sunday night. Being hospitable even is a way of building up others. Are you faithful as a parent to the calling that God has placed upon you to train up your children in the way that they should go? Are you teaching them? Are you instructing them? Are you giving them the example? Are you an individual that God has called, if you're born again, to live a holy life? Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you living up to the call that God has placed? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. Continue to serve the Lord.